In this special preview episode of Paid by the Word, host and moderator Mike Barlow is interviewed by podcaster Zoe Ether. Here's a snippet from their conversation. So to me, uh, I'm just very, very happy when somebody asks me to write about something that I know nothing about. And I know that people are fixated on this idea that if you're a writer, you should always be coming up with ideas for writing assignments. That's definitely part of the job, but it's not the major challenge you'll face. The major challenge from my perspective is constantly and continually finding clients and editors who will pay you to write for them. So when people say, how do you spend your life as a writer? I would say a good third of my waking day is spent beating the bushes for clients and editors who will hire me to write something for them. Hello and welcome to the preview episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. I'm Zoe Ether, the founder of My Smart Community and also the host of the Smart Community podcast. For this special episode of Paid by the Word, I will be turning the table and interviewing Mike. He asked me to spare the niceties and cut right to the chase. So Mike, why are you doing this podcast and what's it all about? Thank you, Zoe. Paid by the Word is a podcast about writing and editing. It mainly features interviews and conversations with professional writers and editors. The podcast is a space in which we can share our acquired knowledge and experiences. If you're a seasoned pro, this podcast might provide a sense of community. If you're an aspiring or newly minted professional, the podcast will be a source of insight. You will hear about successes and failures. Hopefully, you will pick up some valuable bits of information and some useful advice. Love it. So what can listeners expect to hear? What will you talk to your guests about? Zoe will be spending a fair amount of time talking about the work habits of good writers. When people ask me what line of work I'm in and I tell them I'm a writer, sometimes they'll just smile and walk away. Or sometimes they'll dive right in and start asking very specific questions such as, how many hours a day do you write? Where do you write? Where do you write from? Do you write from home? Do you write in an office? What kind of chair do you use? Do you drink a lot of coffee? Do you drink a lot of scotch? Do you keep a notepad by your pillow at night? Who are your favorite authors? Those are the typical questions I get from people. And in truth, they're very relevant. Essentially, they're asking me to describe the habits of a writer. So, Mike, why are good habits important for writers and editors? And what kinds of good habits are you talking about? Your habits, your focus, your discipline as a writer or editor, all of those intangible capabilities are essential parts of the editorial process. The major habit or discipline is just to pretty much do it every day. You don't have to do it every day, but you want to be writing four or five days a week. There's no question about that. And you want to be writing for a couple of hours every day. And I don't mean killer hours, but at least two hours in the morning, maybe an hour in the afternoon and another hour at night. For some projects, I wind up writing six or seven days a week and crazy hours. But most of the time, you want to write in short bursts. Write a couple hundred words and then take a break. Sitting at your desk, typing on a computer for hours on end is unhealthy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Every writer and editor will tell you there's a point at which you need to stand up and take a walk or ride a bicycle or jog around the block. Fresh air and changes of scenery are absolutely essential. You cannot do your best work if your entire day is spent sitting at your desk. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think even when you're not a writer, sitting all day at your desk, which I do quite often, I always have to get up and go and do yoga or go and do something because you just can't, one, your body can't handle it and then your brain can't handle it, right? So, 
Yeah, so important. Okay, enough about me. Let's go no, back no, to but you. No, that's true. You've raised a really good point. The mind-body connection is really essential. In other words, you're not just like a head in a jar uh, <laughs> with, with weird so hands. Maybe one of. day. Maybe be. one day, yeah. But we all, we're, we're, you know, our minds inform our bodies and our bodies inform our minds. It's a very, very close connection. And if you're not feeling good, like, for instance, uh, if I sit for too long, my lower back will start to hurt. And when, and when that happens, I can't really give my writing the best effort that it deserves. So mm. as a result, what I've done now is I've trained myself and, and I stand up, I take a walk, I do some exercise. In my case, I love doing Tai Chi. I will do those. I also do meditation and deep breathing. I will just kind of, I don't want to say force myself, but I will remember that that's a healthy habit and it's part of my overall writing process. So, mm. so I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you, Zoe. Mm. No, no worries. And it's um, I think sometimes we think of these um, things, even in business, and it's like, oh, what are we, you know, you're so intensely focused on the things that are like technical and, and the writing and the, you know, making sure all that's working, that sometimes we can think these other things are just things that we, that we do and we don't focus on them enough. And so if we don't have those healthy habits, though, it slowly creeps in and then we slowly can't write or we slowly can't, you know, I don't know, work well, all, all those type of things. So it's, um, I think those healthy habits are just as important as our technical abilities and writing skills. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, writing does require focus, but it is fair to ask yourself, what is focus? What do we mean by that? Mm -hmm. And for me, focus means that I'm sitting at my computer and I am writing. I'm not doing anything else except breathing. I'm writing and I'm breathing or I'm editing and breathing. That, that's it. I'm applying myself to the task at hand, whether it's writing or editing. The rest of the world kind of disappears. Mm. That is until the guy next door cranks up his leaf blower and then everything goes to hell. Yes. And in my case, it's somebody on a really noisy motorbike <laughs> <laughs> running down my street while I'm trying to record a podcast. So, Mike, give us some really specific advice, some really useful advice. Okay, here's a piece of advice that I wish someone had shared with me at the very beginning of my writing career. Keep your sentences short. I'll repeat that. <laughs> Keep your sentences short. One of the great things about being an American writer is that we have great role models like Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, Dorothy Parker. They were short sentence people. They did not write languid prose. They always aimed for the bullseye and usually they hit it. They were like sharpshooters in the Wild West. So American writers are allowed to write in short, punchy sentences. When you're an American writer, you can start every sentence with a subject, followed by a verb, followed by an object, and boom, period, you're done, you move on. Creating prose in a series of short sentences is a good habit and extremely helpful. If I have to write a long sentence, I try to follow it with two short sentences. You want to vary the pace and keep it flowing for yourself and for the reader. So interesting. And... Now, the way you write, you're not just about short sentences. You also write in short paragraphs. Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> and, and some people have noted that. Uh, I, I believe that your paragraphs should be written as tightly and as brightly as possible. Each paragraph should contain a single idea that explodes like a firecracker, or better still, explodes like a skyrocket on the 4th of July. Keep your paragraphs short, bright, and beautiful. And I also hear you talk about pitching fastballs. What does that actually mean? Well, for me, pitching fastballs means always turn in your best work. Do not submit a piece and expect an editor to fix it. 
edit your work before you submit it. Then, and there's a really there's a really practical reason for doing this because when you turn in sloppy work, you are inviting the editor to edit it, and that's really the last thing you want. I mean, sometimes it's good to have an editor rewrite or reorganize your work. Everybody needs an editor. I, I completely agree with that. But most of the time, it's not a good thing if you get a reputation as a writer who turns in sloppy work, because then editors won't want to deal with you, no matter how creative and talented you are, no matter how personable and wonderful you are. If you turn in sloppy work that requires a lot of editing, eventually the editors will figure out a way to give those assignments to other writers who are easier to deal with. That's so interesting. And as you were talking, I was thinking about when you, like at school, when you hand in a draft, if, you're, if you've written to, you know, like a, a C level, you can only be edited up to a B level, you know, or a draft, you know. Whereas mm. if you submit the B or A level, then, you know, it just gets better and better. Is it a yeah, that, concept? that's true. Yes, absolutely. And uh, because... It is a collaborative, uh, that aspect is, in other words, like, you know, the writing part when you're sitting alone and writing, um, that part tends to feel and is very solitary. It's it's just you and, and the keyboard and the screen. But as soon as you turn it in, then it becomes a collaborative effort. And you, you just want to be as, as nice and as gentle and as kind uh, and as thoughtful uh to your editor as you can possibly be. So so you, you do have to be, it's the human thing to do. It's the right thing to do is to turn in your best work. So what else should young or beginning writers know before they sit down at the keyboard? Okay, here's another piece of advice that I wish someone had told me earlier in my career. Do your research, explore your topic, find out what other writers have already written on that topic, and then try to find a fresh angle. It doesn't mean you have to become an expert. Most editors do not expect you to be an expert, but they do expect you to write something that sounds fresh, original, and balanced. And research can mean a lot of different things to different people. So when you say research, what do you mean? Well, for me, research means interviewing people. I am comfortable doing interviews because I was a newspaper journalist for 20 years. And when you're a journalist working in a daily newspaper, you learn how to interview sources and how to write one or two or sometimes three stories every day. Because if you cannot write one or two or sometimes three stories every day, you cannot survive as a newspaper journalist. I I discovered that the hard way early in my career. So eventually, you learn how to do that. And you learn how to write stories in a very noisy environment where there are lots of distractions and where people are yelling and screaming and there are always police radios and fire department radios squawking in your ear. And so there are lots of distractions in a newsroom. The newsrooms I wrote in were very, very noisy and distracting places. But the good thing was, is that you learned how to tune all that stuff out and just focus on the story you were writing. It sounds like a very good skill to have in this day and age to tune out all the other bits and pieces that are going on in the world. So how do you decide what to write about? About half the time, I come up with an idea and I pitch it to an editor. And hopefully the editor likes my idea and is willing to buy whatever it is that I'm planning to write. The other half of the time, someone or some company hires me to write an article or a white paper or a book on a particular topic. For instance, if I'm hired by the chief executive officer or the chief technology officer of a company that makes wind turbines, chances are I'm going to be writing about wind turbines. If I'm hired by a company that provides artificial intelligence and machine learning developer tools, uh, chances are I'm going to be writing about artificial intelligence and machine learning developer tools. It's uh, it's pretty much, I'll, I'll write, I mean, the truth is I'm a hired gun and I'll write what people ask me to write about. 
So you don't always choose what you're going to write about? Oh, yes, that's that's true. Uh, and frankly, that's one of the best aspects of this career. At least half the time, someone else is telling me what to write about. And I'm fine with that because I tend to learn more when I'm writing about a topic that I know very little about. In other words, if I stay in my comfort zone, I don't learn as much as when I'm forced out of my comfort zone. And, and the whole idea of comfort zone is a little silly because if you're a writer, if you're a professional writer, you try to spend as little time in your comfort zone as possible. Or let me put it this way, even if you wanted to spend a lot of time in your comfort zone, you, you couldn't. Um, you know, the things that I like writing about, um, very few people enjoy reading about. So it, it's great. It's a, it's a great part of it, which is you are forced to write about things that you don't know anything about. And that's how, that's how you, you, your mind stays young and, and, and flexible and supple and fresh and all that good stuff. And I'm convinced that that's part of the key also to good physical and mental health is to constantly be challenging yourself by learning new things. So, so to me, uh, I'm just very, very happy when somebody asks me to write about something that I know nothing about. And I know that people are fixated on this idea that if you're a writer, you should always be coming up with ideas for writing assignments. That's definitely part of the job, but it's not the major challenge you'll face. The major challenge from my perspective is constantly and continually finding clients and editors who will pay you to write for them. So when people say, how do you spend your life as a writer? I would say a good third of my waking day is spent beating the bushes for clients and editors who will hire me to write something for them. So you've got editors and clients. So what exactly do you mean? Who are your typical clients? That's a fair question. Uh, in addition to writing under my own byline, I also ghostwrite books and articles and white papers for various business clients. Typically, my clients are executives or business owners um, who have a story to tell and who are not writers. They understand that if they pay me, I will do such a great job of telling their story that their business is going to improve. They'll be able to sell more of whatever it is that they're selling or that they'll move up the corporate ladder, get a promotion, or that in some way their career will be accelerated or they will earn more money. For them, hiring a ghostwriter is an investment, and it's usually a good investment. Mm. So you said mostly just right. So what else do you do? Um, I have a subspecialty, which is helping successful business leaders and business owners become even more successful. I have clients who have reached a plateau or a ceiling in their career, and they hire me to help them to get to that next level of success. It's a niche business, but in some years it can generate a substantial part of my income. Mm. So is that part of your role as a, the ghostwriter? Yes, yes, absolutely. It usually begins with me ghostwriting a book for them, and then it evolves into a more comprehensive engagement that elevates them to thought leadership status, which sounds kind of silly, but for some people, it's a very effective way to grow their business or accelerate their careers. Now, it all sounds quite kind of mercenary. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. I, I write for cash. I'm paid by the word, hence the name of the podcast. But for me, writing is fun. I enjoy writing, to be honest with you. And, and one of the pleasures of being a ghostwriter is that it's very similar to acting. You are granted this wonderful opportunity to become another person. And if you do it often, you get to become many different people. And you are constantly learning and expanding your universe of understanding. And you're constantly being challenged and stimulated by new ideas. Now, earlier in this conversation, you were saying you wrote for about two hours in the morning and then an hour in the afternoon and then maybe an hour, another hour after dinner. That doesn't sound super taxing. 
<laughs> yes, it's not. Uh, and as I said, I like to write and edit in short bursts. I do not enjoy working long hours, and, and I pay a price for that. What do you mean by I pay a price for that? Well, I mean that even successful freelance writers are not going to be the wealthiest people in town. I'm never going to be the guy driving the expensive new car. I don't own a boat and I don't have a vacation home in the Hamptons. Uh, writing is definitely not a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, it's more of a calling. You're part of something larger than yourself. You're part of a tradition stretching back thousands of years. And I write because I love writing. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to do something that I really love doing. Whenever we talk about things, you know, we have lots of Zoom conversations, um, particularly recently, which has just been great. Sometimes we don't talk about much at all um, or we talk about a lot. But when we do talk, you use the word discipline quite a bit. So what do you mean when you say discipline? Well, for me, discipline does not mean waking up at 5 a.m. and beating myself with a stick or something crazy like that. I just mean waking up in the morning, making coffee, sitting down, doing some writing, taking a break, coming back to my desk, doing some more writing. It's like a Mr. Rogers kind of a discipline, a collection of good habits that wind up defining your personality and your work ethic. You are one of the most prolific writers that I know, but how did you actually become the writer that you are today? Zoe, the secret to my success is that I did a lot of reading when I was a child, and I do a lot of reading as an adult. I, I always get ideas when I read. I try to read books and articles and blog posts that I find interesting and exciting and inspirational. I read both fiction and nonfiction. I read fiction to keep myself inspired because I find that fiction will energize my brain cells. Fiction inspires me with visions of the past and the future. And even though I am a nonfiction writer, I still need that spark of creativity to get myself going. And when I get stuck, my go-to guy is Shakespeare. He doesn't have a lot to say about machine learning or data science, but his insight into the human soul never fails to amaze and inspire me. I'm also inspired and energized by the Chinese science fiction writer Chijin Liu and by Yuval Noah Harari, the Israeli historian. And I always find myself returning to Daniel Kahneman's amazing book, Thinking Fast and Slow. That is a very useful book on many, many levels. One of the writers who inspired me when I was younger was Tom Wolfe, who wrote The Right Stuff and The Electric Acid Kool-Aid Test and a bunch of other great nonfiction books. And of course, I love the work of Hunter S. Thompson, who was a role model for many of us back in the 1970s and 80s. I can't think of Hunter Thompson without smiling. Um, Nora Ephron was one of my favorite writers. And in addition to her books, she also wrote hundreds of articles and essays. If I'm trying to figure out how to start an article, I'll read Nora Ephron. She passed away a few years ago, but her voice is still very much alive. And that's the great thing about this whole culture of writing. It lets you tap into the thoughts and the creativity of people who are no longer with us. That's really the beauty and the power of the written word. It enables us to hear the voices of writers who died 10 years ago, 100 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago. I think that's a miracle. But it sounds like you love being a writer. Oh, yes. I, I, I love being a writer, and I am incredibly grateful for getting paid to do something that I love doing. And one of the nice things about being a writer is uh, I don't expect people to be reading my stuff 100 years from now. But I am really happy that every now and then somebody mentions a book that I wrote five or six years ago. And every now and then someone will come up to me. I'll be giving a presentation somewhere or I'll be, you know, I'll be speaking in a library or speaking at an event or giving a speech or at a conference or something like that. And someone will come up to me and say, hey, I really liked your data science book or I really liked your book on smart cities. 
it's magical when that happens. It's wonderful, and I love it. I'm, I'm just really, really happy to be part of this writing tradition, and that's probably the main reason why I launched this podcast, because I love this profession, and I hope that by collecting the thoughts and memories and experiences of other writers and editors, people who dream about becoming writers and editors will be inspired to follow their dreams and make them come true. And, uh, and if, you're, if you feel that your calling is writing, then by all means, write. Well, that's a perfect way to wrap up this special preview episode. Season one of Paid by the Word will debut officially in January 2021. Now, Mike will be promoting it on social media, so please keep an eye out for his posts. Paid by the Word features conversations with writers and editors, and we hope you will become a regular listener. Until next time, take care and be well. Bye-bye.